if I don't know you, my name is Kelsey Shepherdson. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so excited to have you here this morning or you online if you're listening at home today. Uh, Christmas is such a special time, and I love just having the carols during the service. I love that we have the candles this year. Um, Christmas is so wonderful. It's my favorite holiday, and it's something that even people who aren't religious or aren't Christians, they still notice the special quality of Christmas. There's something about Christmas that's just synonymous with love and peace and joy. And the thing that's so awesome about Christmas and why Christmas is so special to me is that we can start to think sometimes when we get cynical about the world that that all the trimmings and trappings of Christmas, you know, like what is that really about? Where is, is there any depth there? And I think that the awesome thing about Christmas is that because of who Jesus is, because of the good news that he means to the world, all the beauty of Christmas, all the decorations, all the music, all the things that make it a festive season, all of that is based in something that means more than anything else in the world. And so when we see the beauty of Christmas, we see the music and the lights and the decor That should remind us of how very beautiful the truth is that Christmas really is about. It's about Jesus, and it's about how he came into our broken world to set things right. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I want to read to you from one of my favorite Christmas carols. I'm going to read you the first verse from O Holy Night, because I think that this is such a beautiful poem that illustrates the beauty of Christmas and why we have hope and we have peace because of it. And so it'll come up on the screen. You can read along with me. O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. So what this, what this is illustrating is that we live in this world that's broken, it's weary, it's sad, it's full of pain and suffering and death. But Jesus, he came into that darkness like a flash of light, and he changed the trajectory of the world forever when he did that. We live in a world where people, they're lost and not in no hope. They're, they don't have a lot of hope. And because of that, we put our hope in people to save us. We put our hope in the government to save us sometimes. But what we have as followers of Jesus is that our hope is in him. It's in Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, who is going to come again to shatter the power dynamics of the world, and he's going to institute his forever peace, his shalom, on the earth. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So you can go ahead and turn in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 9, uh, verses 1 through 7. I'm going to move this because I keep bonking into that. Um, We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. And I just want to give you a little bit of context for how this book and this passage came about and what's going on here. And just a quick word on prophecy as a genre. So the book of Isaiah, it's a prophetic book. Uh, It was written by Isaiah, the prophet. And it's important to understand about Old Testament prophecies that they contain a primary meaning that corresponds to the circumstance and the time in which they were delivered. 
And there's also a secondary meaning that has kind of a deeper theological meaning, and that often transcends into the future, and it's not, it doesn't come to pass till way later. And it's also important to understand that often you can't fully understand what a prophecy means until after it's fulfilled, and then it's like, oh, that's what that was talking about. So we see a little bit of that happening in this particular passage. In this book, Isaiah, he's prophesying to Israel about the rebellion against God. He's talking about how this is going to come at a cost and that God's going to allow the kingdoms of Babylon and Assyria to conquer them. And that will be in order to teach them the consequences of their disobedience. But there's hope. There's hope here that even in the midst that God is still going to fulfill his covenant promise to them, that he's going to use their time of exile and oppression to discipline them and to purify them. And then he'll use that to bring forth a remnant of repentant followers of him, and he'll establish a new Jerusalem, which will bring justice and peace to all nations. There's also this vision in Isaiah of the temple of the Lord. He has a vision of the temple. And in the vision, he realizes how corrupt both he and Israel have become. And in his vision, God takes a hot coal and he places it on his lips and he purifies Isaiah of his sin. And Isaiah realizes that it's his purpose in life to pronounce judgment on Israel. But he understands from what the Lord has spoken to him, that this isn't actually going to help things. It's only going to help further hard, the hardening of their hearts against God. And that the hardening of their hearts, it's going to lead to Israel being chopped down like a dead tree. So this is not good. This is not good. They're going to be burned like a dead tree. But the hope is that the stump of that dead tree, that it's a holy seed, and it's going to survive into the future. And in Isaiah 11, he speaks of a root that comes from the stump of Jesse, that comes from the stump of this dead tree. And this refers to the new life and the rebirth that's going to spring forth from the destruction of Israel. And Christian, Christians, we understand that as a messianic prophecy that refers to Christ, because Jesus was born from the bloodline of David, Jesse's son. In this specific passage we're reading today, Isaiah is prophesying that the current king of Judah, Ahaz, that he is going to be thrown down, but that sometime in the future, God is going to send a new king, and his name will be Emmanuel. And Emmanuel is such an important name in this book because it means God is with us. And Isaiah, he's going to prophesy that Emmanuel's kingdom, it will set God's people free from all oppressive regimes and empires forever. And that this leader will be a shoot which will grow from the dead stump of David's family line. And that this Emmanuel's kingdom, it's going to transform all of creation and bring peace. This is a good word today. So let's read Isaiah chapter 9, 1 through 7. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. 
Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So this passage is what we would consider a messianic prophecy. So that word Messiah, it's not used in the book of Isaiah in particular, but it was, it's a word that refers to the promised deliverer of the Jewish nation. And that's what this talk is talking about. We know from the context of this book that Israel was in need of some deliverance. But unfortunately, as for many prophecies, they're given a long time before they're fulfilled. And that's what happened in this case. So some of the part of the prophecies were fulfilled right away, but others took longer. So Ahaz, king of Judah, he died at a young age. So his throne was overthrown and he w it went to his son Hezekiah, who was a righteous king. And Ahaz did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Isaiah's prophecies of a Babylonian oppression, those also came to pass. So the Babylonian captivity or exile, that was a period in Jewish history where many people from the kingdom of Judah ended up being captives in Babylon, and that lasted for about 70 years. Um, most scholars, they believe that Isaiah lived about 700 years before the birth of Christ. So the Jewish people had to wait a long time for this king. And I love that Pastor Tyler spoke about waiting because that's a lot of what Christmas is about. God, it seems like he tarries, but God is always on time according to his plan. And that's what we see happening here. At Jesus' birth, this prophecy was fulfilled in part. But we're actually still waiting for the complete fulfillment of this prophecy when Jesus returns to earth as reigning king and he establishes his rulership of peace, his shalom on the earth forever. So we as Christians, we believe in something called the now and the not yet kingdom. This is something that not, not, we're not taught very often, at least not in that language, but we believe in a now and not yet kingdom. And what that means is that we believe that Jesus, he came and he made a way for salvation for all people. So his kingdom is here and now because he came and he established his kingdom. And we as followers of Jesus, it's our job to continue building that kingdom here on earth. But the kingdom of God is also not yet here in the sense that we are waiting for Jesus to come again in the full consummation of his kingdom when he extinguishes sin and death and suffering forever and he rules on earth. And we call that the new heaven and the new earth. That's what's going to happen. So we have this awesome future ahead of us. A good way to understand the now and not yet kingdom is to think about... Sorry, I've got... I always have hair all over my jacket. That's my shedding there. Um, a good way to understand this is by thinking about the progression of an engagement to a marriage. So when Jesus came and was born, it's like an engagement. It's like a man coming to his, his girlfriend and saying, I would love to marry you. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. And her saying, yes, let's get married. And then the preparations start. So we're kind of in this engagement period as the church. We're in this time where... Jesus has made his promise, we are saved, we belong to him, 
But we're waiting. We're waiting for that marriage. We're waiting for the wedding for us to be with Jesus forever. And so that's one good way to think about it. And that's important for understanding this passage because in one way it's been fulfilled and in another way we're still waiting. Um, Let's return to, uh, oh wait, yeah, let's return to this passage. We're going to go back to verse 1. Um, this is a really beautiful passage. It's idyllic. It's about a society that's been returned to the peace and the perfection of Eden, but also has the beauty and the progress of a human society. So this is a, it's a redeemed and transformed society. It's a place that's unmarred by sin and suffering and death. And the vision here is of this beautiful kingdom that has been lost since the fall of man and now is restored by this very special messianic ruler. So let's go back to verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. So in these first few verses, we get some information about where this deliverer is going to come from and who he will minister to. So it says he will minister to those in the region of Galilee. And that might sound familiar to you because that's the area that Jesus carried out much of his public ministry. So already right here, we can see how Jesus fulfilled this prophecy. Verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and have increased their joy. So we get this beautiful imagery of this ruler who's shining his light in this dark land. There's increasing joy, there's growth, there's flourishing, there's abundance, there's fertility. Let's continue. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. So I love here how the word rejoice is used three times quickly in succession. It's so close. This future kingdom, this place that we're going to, the place that we're heading, it's a place of abiding joy. It's a place of abiding joy. And then we hear the reason for that. It's because you've shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. So this future kingdom, it's a place of joy because it's a place of freedom. This is a place where no one oppresses God's people. No one holds their power over anyone else in an unhealthy way. These people are never going to be slaves again. They're going to live in freedom forever. Verse 5. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. So this future kingdom, it's not only a place of freedom and a place of joy, but it's a place of peace. This is a place where war will cease, where war does not exist anymore. And even the painful memories of a war-torn time will be healed. That's what that means by that we're going to burn these things, the things that have been used in battle, the things that remind us of those painful things. We're going to burn that because that's our past. And those things are now healed. They've been set right. And then we hear how these incredible things are going to come about. They're going to come about because there's a messianic king who was born to set broken things right. Verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. So what Isaiah is saying here is that there's a child who's going to be born, who's going to have the capacity, the miraculous ability to lead a kingdom this way. That you've never seen a kingdom quite like this before, but you're going to because God is making a way by doing a miracle. 
And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So these names, they describe the type of leader that this child is going to become, and they signify God's anointing and his provision and his blessing. This first name, Wonderful Counselor, there's another translation of it that says Wonder Planner. Wonder Planner. This leader is going to be someone who carries out God's wonderful plan. This name suggests that God has had an amazing design for the world from the beginning, that he's had this plan to bring about this kingdom of righteousness and peace on earth. This ruler is also called Mighty God. And this is incredible because we know that God intended to be Israel's king himself. We know that on the other side of the prophecy, that God sent himself. He sent Jesus. He sent his son, the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, into our world. And this phrase in the original language would have communicated the idea of God going into battle, going into battle for his people, defeating their enemies, and leading them into victory. The next name is Everlasting Father. This, this is a reminder that God's love for his children is forever, and it's faithful. It communicates the idea of a father who runs after his children as they're running away from him. And we know, again, on the other side of the prophecy, that God made a way for us to have a relationship with him forever through the healing of Jesus' blood that we are now his children forever, even when we sin. And then finally, the Prince of Peace, and that's my favorite name that we get here. In the original language, this name, it's actually suggestive of a military commander, of a, the name of a military commander. And what's so significant about that is that unlike other military leaders, God's war-making brings lasting peace. God, his war brings an end to all war forever. And when Jesus came, and he came to die on the cross, he was making war with evil. He was making a final war with evil so that evil and death can die forever. And so the Prince of Peace, what this is talking about, is talking about how God wants to institute a peace that lasts, a forever peace. And in the Bible, that peace is called shalom. And shalom isn't just a lack of war, but shalom is a deep and a lasting peace that leads to human flourishing. It's a peace that brings about the good life for all people on earth. And that's what Christ is. He's the prince of peace. He's the prince of shalom. Verse 7. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So this isn't just a kingdom like any other earthly kingdom that will one day pass away, that is powerful for a time and then it ends. This is an eternal kingdom that isn't going to end, and that we don't have to worry about it being overthrown. This king is going to rule with righteousness and justice, and this is going to happen because of the zeal, the passion, and the exuberance of God the Father. In Matthew 1, the scripture says this, speaking of Joseph, Jesus' father. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. 
She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. So the vision we see in the Bible, it's not of an earthly government that passes away. It's not of an earthly government, but of a transcendent government that is going to establish a forever shalom on earth that will never be broken. And that's the hope we have because of Jesus. Not only do we have a reunion with God, not only do we have a healing of our relationship with him, but we have a hope that however dark things get on earth, that God has a plan to redeem and save the world. He, is, he has a plan to save all things that are broken. And we can live with peace in our hearts because of it, that Jesus is this perfect king, that he's this Emmanuel that was prophesied about so long ago. He's the wonderful counselor. He's the wonder planner. And we have a plan. He has a plan for us to spend eternity with him, doing wonderful things that we can't even imagine. How awesome. He's a mighty God who will defeat all enemies of what is good and true. And he's an everlasting father who's made a way to be faithful to us, even when we are faithless. He's the prince of peace. And Psalm 46 says this. It says, he makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Christ will bring an end to war making forever. He's going to bring his eternal shalom, and there's not going to be any more sickness or death or crying or pain. So all the beautiful things that we love about this world, those things are never going to pass away. But all the awful things, all the broken things will pass away. There's going to be a lasting peace on earth that permeates deeply into the well-being of every living thing. And it's that future for why Jesus was born. It's that reason that he was born. And that's why we can rejoice and we can worship and we can hope when the rest of the world mourns because we know what's ahead of us. That's why we sing joy to the world and oh holy night and God rest you merry gentlemen. It's because we have a real reason to rejoice. We're not just rejoicing because of the presence and the traditions and the decorations. All those things are just a sign of the great hope and peace that we have. I want to read to you a verse that's so familiar that sometimes I think it can, it doesn't hit us the way that it should. I'm going to read to you uh, John 3:16 and 17. And I just want you to close your eyes, and Lauren, you can come on up. I want you to close your eyes as I read this and just let the words sink in because I think so often the truth of this and the beauty of it washes past us. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So whatever other message we get from religion, from church, from the world. People think that Jesus is a lot about judgment. <laughs> That's not true, but the Bible says it right here. The Bible says that God sent his son into the world because he loved the world. He desperately loved the world. 
he created this world in love, and he didn't want to see it broken forever. He didn't want to see it lost. And so he sent Jesus, and he said, I have a plan. I have a plan to set things right. And that's why Jesus came. He came because God so desperately loves the world, not because he wanted to judge the world, not because he wanted us to feel bad, but because he wanted to save us. And so I want us to respond to that this morning. If you'll all stand up, we're going to sing Oh Holy Night here in just a second. But I just wanted to give the opportunity for anyone who's listening, maybe you're online, maybe you're on the podcast, anyone who's listening who you know that you need a Savior, you know that you need Jesus, I would just encourage you as we sing this chorus, as we sing Oh Holy Night, would you just say, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior, I want you to be my Lord, and he will come in and he will live with you, and he will be the salvation that you need. And you can walk with him the rest of your life. And the rest of us, if we already are in Christ, if we follow Jesus, let's just respond to that great love and to that amazing hope and that peace that's available to us because of what Jesus has done. Lord, we thank you for your promises. We thank you for um, all the, the prophecy that you fulfilled, God, and you're going to fulfill, Jesus. We thank you for the hope and the peace that that gives us. And I pray that we would just remember that in this season, that we wouldn't get caught up in all of the um, other things that this season brings, Lord, but that we'd be reminded that you would center us on your hope and your peace and the promises that you bring. Would you bless everyone as they go? Give us, um, yeah, just an, an awareness of your presence this week. In Jesus' name, amen.